I'm Ryan, um, and with my wife Sarah, I used to be one of the leaders here, but in July, so not very long ago, uh, we moved down to Lantwick Major for my work. Um, the long story might be next week. Short story this week is over about 11 months, uh, we felt that God was calling us kind of out of uh, leaving the church for eight, nine years onto something else, onto maybe a new nation. <coughs> and the first exciting stepping stone of that um, is moving out to my work. But today, we're looking at another exciting stepping stone, a stepping stone of um, the people of Israel as they become the nation of Israel. So hopefully, there's a PowerPoint going to appear any second. Oh, look at that. Today, we are looking at the fall of Jericho. Um, so the people of Israel in Joshua are just coming into the promised land. Uh, they are about to become the nation of Israel as opposed to the people of Israel there's not that much difference between the two, but um, but I uh, I think it's nice to see a little Gantt chart there, just so you can get your timelines in order, not multiverse timelines, but just general timelines, um, because this this land was promised to the Israelites, promised to God's people, um, it was promised to Abraham, right, and it was also promised to Moses and a few other people in between, but <coughs> Abraham, sorry, Aaron and Moses. Right? When we think of Aaron and Moses, we think of the Exodus, we think of the ten plagues of Egypt. You might not think of Aaron, though Aaron's actually slightly older than Moses. It generally, in, in my head at least, it's Moses did all the Egypt stuff, and then Moses and Aaron did all the, the stuff in the desert, and then just Joshua appears out of nowhere. But actually, they're all around at the same time. Um, Caleb, he's in there as well, but like Aaron and Moses and Joshua were all in Egypt, they all did the 40 years in the desert. They all like went through all of this process together. Um, Joshua was Moses' assistant during the Exodus. It's only after Moses and Aaron have both died um, that the Israelites are then able to enter the promised land. Joshua becomes the leader of the people, and he leads them into that land. Um, once there, there's a number of hurdles that they face, and we're going to watch a fun little video, hopefully. Click it once more and hopefully it'll play.
slightly odd video, but a funny nonetheless, hopefully, that gets the story across. Um, you probably all know the story of Jericho, right? You've probably heard before that there's a city called Jericho, that God's people marched around it seven times, and then seven times on the seventh time, and then they all shouted and the walls fell down. <coughs> but what I'd like us to do is um, move away from that, like, childish picture of Jericho and the story, right? That is it in a nutshell, okay? That's everything you need to learn. All of the lessons are in there. But let's not miss several key things um, because we know that God's word is deep and searchable. So summaries and those like children's Bible stories are great, but we can also dig in. So we're also going to read along. Um, we're going to dig in looking for three key points. So hopefully on the next page is... Oh, click it again. Hopefully, there you go. So we're going to read. Um, we've got. We've. I've split the kind of passage up into three three bits. Let's first read Joshua five thirteen to fifteen. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "Are you for us or for our enemies?" Neither, he replied, which is always worrying, isn't it? Um, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So it wasn't as simple as, Hello! Um, <laughs> instead, actually, the first point I want to make is literally the complete opposite of that, is that this is all about God's plan. And this is God's plan alone. Um, it's very easy to forget, um, which is why the songs were so, so helpful this morning. It's very easy to forget the sovereignty of God, right? He is our creator. He is our master. He's our Lord, our God. We serve him. He is king of the universe. Um, incredibly, as Christians, we know that we are adopted into his family. So we can count Jesus as our friend and brother and God as a loving father, intimate and close better than any earthly father could be to his children. But we forget that when that kind of familial aspect of God comes in, that doesn't take anything away from the fact that God is our, our king. And, um, you know, again, like the words that we, that we sung today, that God is above all else, um, that God is, is worthy to be praised. Um, remember the coronation of Charles III didn't happen too long ago. Um, it was the anniversary of the Queen's death just this week. Um, but when Charles III was crowned, you know, all of the royal kind of regality and, and poshness of the occasion, right? There's, it's all really, really fancy and really, really kingly. But during that whole process, there was a small moment where William, um, the king's son, got to pledge himself to his father. He got to pledge himself as the prince and they shared just a tiny little bit of intimacy, didn't they? There was a little bit, hey, Dad, hope you're doing okay. Kind of like, you know, complete respect of the occasion and the formality, but also an underlying, but it's okay because I'm your son and you're my dad. And that relationship hasn't changed. And that's what we have as well, right? When we are adopted into God's family as his children, um, <coughs> when he becomes our father, he doesn't lose the kingliness um, but in fact, during that whole kingliness that was already, already there, we now have that little moment of, ah, oh, but you're also my father and you love me. Um, and we see similarly here, 
right? Because the commander of the army of the Lord is present and he's there. Um, his sword is drawn, you know, he says, I have now come, I am ready, the fight is about to begin, his sword is drawn, he's always ready, and he's here to deliver a message before any of the battle has already begun. So, um, secondly, Joshua asks, are you for us or for our enemies? And he goes, no, 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 that's not how it works. I'm not on your side or on God's side or your enemy's side or anybody's side. I just am, right? I just am on the Lord's side. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. He doesn't quite make it clear whether that is um, a bit like Elisha and there's this other whole army there which we can't see, which Joshua can't see, or whether he's arrived and said, I'm the commander of your army. You need to listen and do what I say because I'm, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Um, but the, the message is clear, right? This angel of the Lord is for the Lord. And these are God's plans that are about to happen not Joshua's plans. Joshua didn't conquer Jericho. Moses didn't free the Israelites. In the New Testament, Peter and Paul did not build up the church. God did. It's his plan. He is sovereign. Um, and likewise, you are not here as a result of your plans, nor the fault of your own plans, right? You're here because of God's plans with whatever choices you've made, right? It reminds me, <coughs> as I said, of that moment where I think it's Elisha. I can't remember if it's Elisha or Elijah. One of them. They're, they're worried, and they're with the other one. I forget which one's which. Um, but Elisha and Elijah are there, and one says to the other, how are we going to win this battle? And the other one just says, Lord, open his eyes. And he sees that the, all of the hills are filled with like the army of the Lord, an angelic army, and he's, suddenly he doesn't worry anymore. Um, his eyes are opened, and he sees actually who is on their side. And also likewise in Ephesians, where Paul says to the church there that we don't wrestle with the earthly things, right? Joshua didn't have to conquer a physical city here. Sure, he did, right? That's what his role was, to do something physical, because he was physical. But really, the battle was in another realm. Um, the, the powers and authorities in the spiritual realms, that's where the battle was raging, or was raging. Today, we live in a world where the war has been won, right? Jesus has won that victory, but the battle and the cleanup operation still linger on, um, which is still obviously hard, isn't it? And then finally for this bit, we reach one of those Bible curiosities. Um, the, the angel says, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy. And from then on, this angel is just called the Lord, right? His, sorry, his first, he's not even called an angel, right? He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And then in the next, passage, next part of the passage, when we read it, it just says, the Lord said. So is this the Lord? Is this commander of the Lord's armies? Is that the Lord? Is, he, is the Lord the commander of the Lord's armies? Is this a pre-incarnate Jesus? Maybe. Also, maybe not. Um, we don't know. Okay? The, the, <coughs> the commander of the army of the Lord, um, it is thought that this being is also the same as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord pops up a few times in the Old Testament. Um, the, the clue that the angel of the Lord, specifically the angel of the Lord, might be something different, is that any time an angel pops up, people go, oh my goodness, what's this crazy thing? And start to worship it. And they go, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. But when the angel of the Lord appears, and when this guy appears, he doesn't say, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. He accepts that worship, which is possibly suggesting 
that it is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, right? That it is, a, that it is God. It's God who's visiting them and talking to them. Um, likewise, when um, I think it's when Jacob wrestles with the Lord, Jacob wrestles with God, and it's like, did he have a fight with Jesus? What's going on there? We're not quite sure. All will be revealed one day, I'm sure. <coughs> so, is this a pre-incarnate version of Jesus? We've no idea. Could be Gabriel, could be Michael, could be Astaroth, could be anyone, or some unnamed angel. Um, but whoever it is, the point is their message is clear, right? They are the messenger. They are the commander of the army. They're not here for Joshua. They're here for God because it's God's plan that's going to happen. Um, that's the news, okay? That even, or rather, even the news, even Joshua and even the place where he's standing is now consecrated. It's now holy just because the messenger, the commander of the army of the Lord is there, um, Again, hopefully this reminds you that God is sovereign, right? God is in control. God is always in control. Um, we can always look to him and feel confident that whatever's going on, we know that he has the plan and we are in his plan. Um, so it will work out in the end. Um, but what does holy mean? Right? Again, we sang holy just a few moments ago. What does it mean, that word holy? Because we didn't really use that in any other context. Uh, context to me but the word holy means like set apart right it means pure it means special it means something is only for one like good purpose so <coughs> how can it be that just the mere presence of this messenger this commander of the army of the lord his message makes the place of hearing holy it makes joshua holy it makes all of this situation pure and set apart and special so before any battle has been fought or won, right? We haven't done, haven't done anything yet. All that's happened is this guy's turned up. He hasn't gone, hello. He's gone, I'm not for you. I'm for God. Um, before any of that has happened, it's made clear to Joshua that this is not going to be of his doing. And again, it's, it's very similar to, um, to like where Gideon in the Old Testament, he fights a battle, doesn't he? And he's, he's fighting a battle for God. And God slowly cuts his army down from however many thousand people to just 300 people um, because it's not going to be won by Gideon and his military strength. This is going to be won by God because it's God's plan. Um, even, um, even also might remind you of Jonah, right? <coughs> because the same is true of us. When we do submit ourselves to God's plan, he uses us. And even sometimes when we don't, he still uses us, right? Jonah goes, that's the plan, is it? I don't really want to do that plan, God. I'm going to go the other direction, sorry. Um, God knew that was going to happen, right? That's not a surprise to God that Jonah went the other way. But God's plan still happens because that's what God wanted. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Anyway, um, it's all part of his eternal plan. Um, that can be very, very difficult for us to understand sometimes, but God is sovereign um, and as Isaiah writes in um, Isaiah 45, verse 9, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say this pot has no handles? Right? It's very hard from our perspective to be like, God, you're doing the plan wrong. This isn't how this plan's supposed to be. Because we don't know, right? God knows God is our creator. He's our master. But he's our designer. Right? He knows what he has made us for. He knows how strong we are, what we can go through. Um, which might not be very much, but when we're with him, we can go through. 
So we are but the tools God works with to achieve his end. Pretty amazing, eh? Cool. Secondly, <coughs> we're looking at God's particular instructions. The way that God does things is important. The way God does things nearly always seems to place the emphasis more and more away from us and away from how we want to do it on our own strengths and weaknesses and all the more onto him and how amazing he is. As the video said, right, God wanted Joshua to follow the Lord's instructions exactly. Let's read the next bit, which is chapter 6. Uh, we're going to skip out a little bit. Chapter 6, 1 to 5 and 12 to 14 say, Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. They're camping outside. They don't want the city open. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this is the commander of the army of the Lord, presumably, who is now called the Lord, said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everybody straight in. Okay. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forwards, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. <coughs> I imagine the first day, they were pretty hyped. Yeah, we're doing something. You know, they're all there together. They're marching around. They're in their full army gear. They're going, yeah, you know, God is using us. And they're showing their strength. They're showing their control, maybe, by not retaliating to what's going on above them. They're displaying the ark. You know, this is the, the like, the prize of Israel. It was stolen from Israel later on because that's like their most prized possession. That's literally where their God is. Um, but then slowly, maybe they start to think, why are we doing this again? Didn't we do this yesterday and the day before and the day before? What are we actually waiting for here? Six days is a long time, right? Are we waiting for them to come out? Are we waiting for them to battle us or just surrender? How is walking around the city going to make them surrender? I'm confused now. I was excited the first time. What's going on? <coughs> Maybe they're wondering, what is Joshua's plan? Why are they doing that? I imagine, again, to draw parallels, it would have been similar with Gideon's men, right? Why on earth are you dismissing me? Like, fine, dismiss the people that don't want to be here because they're scared of fighting. But why are you dismissing me from drinking water wrong? That's not fair. I'm ready to fight. I'm one of the best warriors here. Um, does Gideon really think 300 men will be enough? What an idiot. Joshua thinks walking around the city is going to do something. What an idiot. Maybe those thoughts, we, ha we don't know. This is all speculation, but we don't know, right? You know. Um, again, though, we want to read closely, right? The Lord starts the conversation with, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and fighting men. Pause there. If you're Joshua, right, you just look over your shoulder and you go, Have you? That looks like a very fortified city to me. Um, I don't see, no. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I'm sorry, God, I don't see. I can see a huge fortress 
which is impenetrable. The doors are closed. We can't get in. Um, I think we're about to start a several-month-long siege. You may have delivered it to me, but I can't open it. I don't quite see what you're talking about, God. Um, this siege has barely begun. Sometimes that's, <coughs> that can feel like what God is telling us, right? You go, really, God? Is that what you're saying? I can't really see that, but I trust you. And that's what we have to do, right? When God tells us something, we need to trust him. If God is talking to us, then he is telling the truth, and God's plan will happen. Um, I wonder also how the conversation might have gone with the army and with the priests who are going to carry the, um, carry the ark around. Do you think Joshua told everyone? Did they have a big meeting? And they're like, yes, finally, Joshua, the commander, or you know, the, the guy who's in charge here, he's going to tell us what we're going to do? We're going to walk around a city? Okay. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe that wasn't what happened. Maybe Joshua just like told the generals and you know, said, please tell everybody this is what we're doing. Don't ask any questions. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Maybe it sounded a little bit embarrassing, but you know, don't question the order, son. They come from Joshua. They come from the Lord. It'll work. Trust him. Um, <coughs> I also wonder if anybody saw, anyone else saw Joshua talking to the angel of the Lord there. Because if they did, that would have changed things up, right? If, even if they didn't have that conversation, if you knew that your friend had seen, or if you had seen Joshua talking to this, like, massive angel guy with a gigantic sword, you'd be like, it's all right, that guy told us what to do. I trust Joshua. But even then, after a few days and nothing really happening, maybe you'd be like, it'd be really handy if that guy came back. I'm sure his sword could chop down the wall. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Anyway, um... <coughs> the last thing to speculate about would be um, what the men in Jericho are thinking, right? If you're in your massive fortified city, you've got supplies for a few months, you've closed the gates, your walls are really high, you're in Helm's Deep, nothing's going to happen to you, right? You're thinking, this is fine. We're, we've got nothing to worry about here. They don't have explosions yet, it's fine. Um, maybe the men in the city might have been a little bit intimidated the first time when they walked around. But then after that, they're going to be like, what are these guys doing? This is a joke. They're going to be throwing stuff at them. They're going to be laughing at them. Um, they're going to be jeered at, <coughs> discouraged. It's really, really easy when we read these stories, especially when they're like little three-minute summaries and you already know the end. It's really easy to forget what is it like to be in that story, in that situation. right? And then on the flip side... It's really easy when we're in our life going through those situations and they're taking a long time to think, oh, but it's okay. When I tell this story in, you know, 10, 20 years, I'll be able to tell this entire story in five minutes. It'll be a five-minute video of a summary of, like, three years of really difficult life or 10 years of really difficult life or, or just six days of what am I doing? Um, anyway. Sometimes we have to live through those questioning and murmuring um, moments. Maybe it's the questioning and murmuring of people around you going, are you sure God told you this? Like, are you sure? Maybe? Um, anyway, yeah. So I don't think that the people, that the soldiers in the army would have wanted any more rotten food to be thrown down on them. Um, yes, we're doing it for six days. Um, on the seventh day, we're doing it seven times. Imagine the self-doubt as well, right? Maybe Joshua even thinks to himself, did I see that guy or was I just asleep? 
Everybody hates me. What's going on? God, please show up. But that is it, isn't it? We need to live like that sometimes. We need to live in a way sometimes where, you know, we like as a church, you put on an event or, you know, you have to pray for someone and you think, God, I, I, you need to show up, please, because if you don't, I'm going to look really embarrassed. And sure, maybe you'll end up looking embarrassed. That, that can happen sometimes, right? But equally, if it's God's plan, God will make it happen. Because that's point one, God is sovereign. So <coughs> we can go all through these thoughts, these doubts, these questions when we're going through something difficult, when we're following God's instructions, even if they've seemed a bit odd. But we can have confidence from knowing that one day we will be able to tell that complete story in a relatively short amount of time, however long it takes to get through it. So God's instructions are careful and they are exact. They remove any power from Joshua and his men. They put them in that vulnerable position where they're waiting for God to do as he said. They did this for six days. Um, six days of doing something foolish is a long time. Um, I even thought that, isn't it true? Somebody says, I forget where. It's a famous quote from somewhere, isn't it? That one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to happen. They might even have got to, it's Einstein, is it? Oh, there you go. It's probably Sherlock or Einstein, one of them. Um, that's one of them, isn't it? You know, they could be sat there thinking, what are we doing? We've done this five times already. Tomorrow we've got to do it seven times? Oh, all right. We're the army of the Lord, though. We'll trust God. We'll trust Joshua. But as we've seen, as I said, right, God is sovereign. This is his plan. Therefore, it is going to work. And you already know that because you know the story. You know it does work. But again, think about being in the story, and it's a bit harder. God's ways are not our ways. And time and time again, we see people in the Bible, our heroes, those Bible heroes, are brought to a point where they are powerless in order to give God more glory. In David and Goliath, right, the Israelites have been absolutely taking the mick out of for ages. Come and fight me. No one shows up for about six months or something stupid. David shows up. He doesn't wear armor. And it's a boy who saves the whole of Israel. Um, think of Gideon again, right? He's, when we first meet Gideon, he's literally hiding in like some grapes or something. He's hiding because he's terrified of what's going to happen because he, he cut down a pole or something. He cut down an idol and he's like, oh no, they're going to kill me. Um, and then he becomes a leader and then he's got a massive army. They go to war and he says, actually, we're not going to take most of you. We're only going to take some of you. And they win. Think of Joseph, right? Joseph, <coughs> he's got his lovely coat on, and then he's basically murdered by his brothers. His death is faked. He's sold. He's forgotten. He's in prison. He's even forgot about in prison. It's so bad. And then suddenly he, come, he becomes second to Pharaoh, and he feeds, like, the whole of the Middle East. So to name but a few, it happens that the people who we know of as famous in the Bible, the people who we know the whole story, even, you know, more contemporary people, we know their whole story. And we go, yeah, that's a great story to tell, isn't it? It wasn't great when they were doing it. Anyway, God's plan is certain and sovereign. God's instructions are precise and glorifying to God. <coughs> and finally, next one, we're going to look at how God's purpose blesses the world. Because Joshua and the army did manage to follow God's instructions and march around Jericho, as you know. Let's read chapter 6, verses 15 to 20. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day it was seven times. 
The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They did it! The walls have fallen down. Jericho was conquered. That problem Joshua was looking at has crumbled. It's gone. The city was delivered into their hands, exactly as that Lord, that commander of the army of the Lord said. See, it is delivered into your hands. Maybe you could see into the future. We don't know. But he, that was his promise, right? See, the city has been delivered into your hands, along with the king and all of its fighting people. Now, it's finished. That promise was true. <coughs> the trust has paid off in the Lord's instructions. Imagine the flood of relief when they finally fall down. Everyone goes, yeah, now we can go in and actually fight. <coughs> God did it. The outcome that God intended came to pass. God's purpose has been fulfilled. It always does whatever the route, right? God works through us despite our mistakes, despite our insecurities and our doubts, despite whatever situation or hardship we are in, God can use them for God, for good. And think again, right, of Jonah literally running away. God's purpose still happened. God's outcome still happened that Nineveh was saved. Think of Gideon's fighting with only 300 people. The victory God wanted to happen still happened despite the bizarre means of it happening. Think of all of the problems David faced in his entire lifetime, right? He was betrayed several times. He's on the run. His, like, BFF, Jonathan, died. Like, he committed adultery. But God's outcome of David's life still came to pass, um, one of which could be the book of Psalms, one of which was King Solomon built the temple, the tabernacle that David dreamed of, and don't forget Jesus. But again, one more time, we're going to read carefully. <coughs> By just reading the story, what are we missing? Let's slow down and dig deep. Joshua's command is shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This victory happens, it still needs some encouragement. Right? It doesn't just happen all by itself. The people don't not do anything at all. They do what God has told them, but they need reminding. They need encouragement to do what God has told them. Your leaders need encouragement, and you need encouragement. Right? You need to encourage one another as well. The final command to do God's bidding completes the instructions and secures the victory. If they hadn't have done that last shout, maybe it wouldn't have happened that time, and God would have said, do something else. But God's plan would still have happened. The victory happens with encouragement. Again, right, I wonder if Joshua had just told them before, like, the plan and left them to it, would the shout have been half-hearted? If he'd have just said, we're going to walk around seven times, then I want you to shout, would they have gone, all right, won't really do anything. But it's the fact that Joshua, they've walked around seven times, and he goes, come on, everyone, we can do it. Shout, God has given it to us, believe. Um, you may know, you may not know that yesterday... I had to help 15, 16-year-olds walk a half marathon, which was advertised as four, maybe five-hour walk. It turned out to be eight and a half hours in the heat of yesterday, um, more than 13 miles. I did 32 and a half thousand steps. Ridiculous. Um, <coughs> they needed some encouragement, and so did I, right? 
once I'd pushed through the wall of this is going to take way longer than four hours, what a waste of a day. I was hoping to be back for five o'clock to take Daniel swimming. Instead, I was back at like 10 o'clock I walked through the door. But anyway, um, I, I could encourage them along and keep up morale, right? I knew that there would be an end to the route. I guess they kind of did as well, but I knew exactly where it was. They didn't know where we were finishing. I did. Um, I knew the route because I've walked some of it before. They did not know the route. I also had the map so I could see what was happening. Um, I had water and biscuits to keep them sustained because they very quickly ate all of their own food and run out of sustenance and their own reserves. I could show them how far we had come on the map and that our end was in sight. I could tell them, look, turn around. You see that tiny bit all the way over there? That's where we started. Look how far we've come. You see that tiny white dot over there? That's the lighthouse. That's where we're finishing. We can do it. <coughs> Otherwise, they might have just held their head down and just been kind of demoralized the whole time. We need to do the same for each other in our hardships, right? We need to encourage one another because there is an end to whatever you're going through right now. I promise. Even if it's the end, right? There is an end in sight. One day... There will be no more problems for us. We are promised that there will be a, um, a day without mourning or tears or grieving. All those things will have passed away. So at one point, there will be an end to your troubles, <laughs> even if it's not in this world. <coughs> um, also encourage one another because you might have walked something very similar and know the route. Or you might know some of the route, like I did yesterday. Um, you might be able to keep people sustained with prayer and spiritual food, and with real food. Cook for people, it helps. Food is delicious. I think there's a reason why. Um, in the early church, they used to eat together all the time. And I've also seen, and just remembered, there's a hilarious like little meme I've seen before, where, who is it? I think it's, I think it's Elisha, or Elijah, one of them. They're the same people, really, aren't they? At one point, they, whoever one is, is really angry and asks God to kill them because they're so upset. And God literally says, have a sleep, and then here's a bird, he's going to give you some food. And after a nap and some food, they feel better, right? Spiritually mandated, we are allowed to have a sleep, have a nap, and have some food, and things will just feel a bit better, okay? Um, so encourage one another with food as well. Lift up each other's heads. As Paul says, or whoever it is says, right, we need to keep, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author knows because the author has written it. Um, next bit in here, we also finally get a clue as to the end of God's plans here. It's partly that Rahab and her house will be spared. Why does that matter? Again, to them, living in it doesn't really mean much, but for us, if you know your Bible history, then you know, because of genealogy, Rahab is super important. Rahab is a rescued prostitute. She ends up marrying a guy called, uh, she ends up marrying and gives birth to a guy called Boaz. And then we hear of Ruth, who is a Moabite, who is like adopted into Israel. So that's one prostitute outsider and one like enemy outsider. Um, Ruth marries Boaz, Rahab's son, and gives birth to Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. Um, and, oh yeah, oh yeah, look at that. Look at that, it's all up there. Good job, Emily. Um, and later on in their line, after several dots, um, you'll see that Mary and Joseph are both um, through, is it Mark and Luke? I think it says down there. Luke and down there, Matthew. 
Luke and Matthew's genealogies, if you read the first bit of Luke and Matthew, they both are genealogies. One of them, we think, is Mary's. One of them is Joseph's. Um, but they both have Rahab and Ruth like in them, right? Because they've got Obed and Jesse and Boaz and David. Because Jesus is a descendant of David. So um, Jesus is of David's line. That's you know, like, like just this thing of conquering the city of Jericho results in Rahab being spared and therefore Jesus being of the lineage of David and David himself even being born in the first place. Um, so God can do surprising things with our little outcomes when we listen to God. Um, we do not know what the outcomes of our simple actions might be, but if we're obedient to God, he might use that something small to be something big. Um, again, far more contemporarily, think of um, recently we had the Koreans over for their mission in Wales, right? The Koreans came over over summer from South Korea, all because there was one Welsh guy who brought the gospel to Pyongyang. Um, there's like loads of different heroes you can read of. I don't know, name a few. Hudson Taylor, people like that. There's loads of heroes of the faith. Um, I've got a book. John's got a book. I'm pretty sure I gave John a book about heroes of the faith. I did. I'm sure I did. <coughs> It'll be on his bookshelf somewhere. But there's loads of like people you can read of who are like famous Christians, right? Because they did missionary work in some place or another, and they endured great hardship. For them, during the time, sure, it might have been hardship, but you can read about it in like a five-minute video or, you know, a two-hour-long book or something. Um, in reality, all they did was to continue simply being obedient to what God was saying. Sometimes for us, the easiest thing to do is just to keep praying, right? That is the easiest way to still be obedient to what God wants for us, to keep praying. Um, I'd like to close also with a little modern-day analysis as well. This often happens. That's fine. Um, the wall collapsed. Everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. As unfortunately happens sometimes, um, we can read the Old Testament and go, oh, that's surely been embellished. Something else must have happened. Or, or we can explain it with science. Right? If you, if you search it up, there's talk on how Jericho must have just been built in some very unstable land. And the act of having like several hundred thousand people or several tens of thousands of people walk around the city and shout, damaged its foundations or caused a landslip or something. Maybe. There's an idea that um, there happened to have been an earthquake, which isn't mentioned anywhere, which must have damaged the walls and made them very, very unstable. And the Israelites just finished off the structure. Maybe. There's theories that the ram horns were so crafted that they blew the exact note that was the same resonant frequency as the walls, so like some kind of weird sonic weapon. Um, just like an opera singer, theoretically, if they train hard enough, can sing at the same resonant frequency as a glass and it smashes, that's what happened. There was, they're using these sonic trumpets and they blew and the walls just smashed, maybe. There's an even crazier theory which is a slightly more pervasive in the Old Testament theory, that the Ark of the Covenant was a radioactive weapon, and uh, th somehow the Israelites and the Levites were all immune to that radiation, but everybody else suffered from it. Again, because, you know, it's like lined with gold, which is like lead, right? All very unlikely to me, <coughs> about as unlikely to me, that they forgot to mention here all the elephants and battering rams they used to knock down the city, Right? What happened? God showed up. That's what happened. God did it. 
It was God's plan. It was God's instructions. It was God's purpose and outcome. Um, I'm sure I, I don't have the answer as to how God did it, but God did it, right? It wasn't just some fluke where, you know, these old ancient people who believe in God, like they just happened to have horns with the resonant frequency of the rock or their old uranium happened to knock down the walls or something. Like, what are you talking about? God showed up, okay? God shows up today as well. Um, it was God's plan accomplished in his way for his purposes. So when you are going through strange times or difficult times as well, or if you're following God's instructions and the way is not clear, when you're looking at your stronghold and God says, it has been delivered into your hands, and you think, has it? It hasn't yet. Um, when you need encouragement, remember that God is sovereign. His plan and his purposes will happen. And finally, I thought we should just read a little bit of encouragement. Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 13 says, For my thoughts, this is God, God talking to Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, my promises, my words, the things I've spoken to you about. <coughs> Those things will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out into joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, a nice tree. And instead of more thorns, another nice tree will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. There's thorns, there's difficult stuff, but God's word and God's promises will not return to him empty. Instead of those spiky things will be nice, pleasant things to look at. The hills will be alive with the sound of singing and music. So Joshua teaches us through the fall of Jericho that God's plan will be accomplished. God's instructions and God's ways are how it will be done, not our own ways and thoughts. And God's purpose will be achieved. Amen. Amen. Amen.